This is Tales from the Pros, where business leaders and influencers share their stories of inspiration, struggles, and successes. And I'm your host, Michael Giorgio. Hey everyone, welcome to Tales from the Pros. This is Michael Giorgio, co-founder at Imagine Ovation here in Raleigh, North Carolina on this beautiful Friday. And we have a very special guest here today. His name is Sean Maroney, uh, CEO at Betabox, also located here in the Triangle, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, right here in Raleigh. Awesome. Yep. So Sean, welcome. To, Thank welcome you for to, having me. Thanks, thanks for being here, man. really Absolutely. appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate it for the Good. invite. Yeah. Very excited to be here. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I did a lot of research on Betabox. I, I love the overall concept idea. We were talking about motives before. I think what mm-hmm. you're doing is awesome. Mm-hmm. Talk to people a little bit about how you started it, why you started it. Just mm-hmm. overall a little bit about Betabox. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, for those that don't know in the area, Betabox is a hands-on learning company. We're all about delivering hands-on learning to students anywhere, in any geography, any location. Mm-hmm. And we do it out of shipping containers, which is something that's unique to Betabox. And the way schools think of us is a field trip in their parking lot. So if you actually consider all of the costs associated with an on- a field trip, a normal field trip, mm-hmm. you've got to think about feeding those kids at the middle of the day. You've yeah. got to have a teacher get the permission forms collected, which takes a lot of time, time away from actually teaching or mm-hmm. building curriculum. you got to pay for the bus. you got to actually take that day out of school. There's transport time. There's a lot of hidden costs associated with that. Mm-hmm. And there's also safety risks, potentially, leaving the campus. So uh, there's a lot of complexities, but there's also a lot of opportunities because you're able to offer informal, hands-on, inquiry-based learning and um, you know that's why field trips are great. So what we've done is sort of flip the field trip, where we'll go right to the schools, right to the school's parking lot, right in front of the classroom. The kids don't; they just eat at the cafeteria. You don't need permission slips. So we portable take, field trip, exactly. <laughs> field, field trips on demand. Yeah, awesome. Um, and uh, it takes about fifty percent of the cost away when it's mm-hmm. all said and done, taking that human time into account. Yeah. So that's what schools know us as. And we have STEM stuff. We have design stuff. So think design thinking, three D printing, laser cutting. We work all. We pretty much check off all the buzzwords. Mm-hmm. IoT, virtual reality, we're, we're offering experiences in all of those arenas and areas for, uh, for schools throughout the southeast. And uh, recently throughout this year, we've actually um, gone national. So we've gone through 28 states this year. And then wow. the, and when did you say you started it? So we started it in, it was kind of a hazy beginning. We started yeah. it in 2014, really, while I was in school at um, NC State. Okay. And I started it with these two other guys, and it really came from... Uh, this one day where we, we were in this program funded by the NSF in partnership with Stanford and they okay. were basically about taking <clears throat> entrepreneurial engineering students at the undergraduate level, getting them together, and pretty much seeing what happens. So we were in this uh, sort of at this event, like a conference in D.C. And the conference had wrapped up, everyone was gone, and we just pulled up some chairs and we were talking, me and a group of other, of other folks, about um, what we were passionate about, what we were interested in doing, during school, after school, and then we all just gravitated on something interesting, which we had all helped our universities work on maker spaces or entrepreneurial environments. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was uh, involved with the NC State Garage when I was uh, studying there, and uh, the two other guys also at their respective universities were working on something similar. But we noticed this problem where you know there was always somebody at the university that wanted one of these hands-on maker spaces with all this cool equipment where you know students could come and work on their business ideas or yeah. what projects or engineering projects, whatever else it was. Um, but they often couldn't convince the decision maker at the university to actually write the check, and so we and they all, there was also a lot of knowledge gap. They didn't really know how to do it. So we said, hey, we'll consult with the universities and we'll help them get these maker spaces because we really mm-hmm. believe in them and we have uh, the experience of setting it up on our own. So that was the first idea, and we did three projects with three universities, and those three projects taught us a few things. One, we don't like being consultants for universities. Yeah. Hard process, right? It's a lot of complexity around uh, anybody that's worked with the universities um, or governments has a similar, probably, story. But uh, that's one thing that we learned. This other thing we learned was... um, the decision maker needed to see the proof. Like they needed to see it before they could go for it, because there's a risk aversion there um, of a new thing. What is a makerspace? I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, we needed we needed to show them something before they were going to actually buy in to yeah. greenlight a whole big building or a big architecture project around it. So that's when we had the idea. Hey, why don't we just throw a bunch of stuff? like 3D printers, for example, in a container, in a Connex, a 20-foot shipping container, and we just dropped it off. That's all that happened. Um, so 
on a very like tight budget, we um, got a scrap, a really crappy, rusty container. Bootstrap, right? Totally funded. Totally bootstrap at this stage. Cool. Yeah, and um, we just tried it out. It was a it was a very pretty cheap experiment, and we actually created a little startup weekend. I don't know if you're familiar with Startup Weekend, um, but uh, I don't think so. These cool weekend events. Um, they're I believe now operating out of TechStars. It's like a subsidiary of TechStars. Okay. But, um, yeah, yeah. You know, they pop these things up all over the world, and it's like a two day picture idea work mm-hmm. on a project. So we created we organized one of those in the triangle around um, maker stuff. So like okay. hardware, IoT, that kind of thing. And uh, then we put the container at this event and people loved it. They were like, this is amazing. We've got all this equipment. We're helping like, and we help their projects, right? And then a couple of universities were kind of sponsoring that event and they said, oh, we want this. And then we, that was UNC and Duke. So we dropped, mm-hmm. those were our first paying customers for the container. And they loved the container way more than the consulting that we were trying to sell them. And a little, we were talking beforehand about focus and how you took the focus to go towards your, your mobile apps versus the marketing. You yeah. were talking about focus. You know, that's a principle that we have at Betabox. It's one of our core values, actually. Uh, pressure equals force over area, which is an engineering equation. And basically what it means is you, know, you can only do a certain amount of stuff. you got your force, you know, your hours in the day. you got, yeah. your, you got your area. You know, what are you doing? How many projects do you have? What are you spending your time on? And then you got your impact, your pressure, like how much you can actually exert in those directions. And so we decided to kill the consulting focus on the box and then from there a lot of future doors opened which we'll talk about more about that's awesome man mm-hmm. that's cool mm-hmm. wow so did you always see yourself as an entrepreneur you know starting this thing or did you did yeah. you kind of were you one of those kids that you just you're always innovative you're thinking you're like you're like you know what i want to start my own thing i can't work under anybody yeah or did you you know for me it was i've said this on other podcasts before that you know, some of the other guys I've interviewed um, that for me was a really a blessing in disguise how it happened. So I always had an entrepreneurial spirit, I would say, but never thought, oh, you know, I'm going to start a, a business when I'm 23, yep. 24 years old. But yep. it just kind of was a blessing in disguise. just yeah. kind of ha- kind of happened. Mm-hmm. And I took the opportunity and it was the best decision in my life. Mm-hmm. Was it something like that for you or how did it happen? I think everybody that has found their element, whether it's entrepreneurship or engineering, or some sort mm-hmm. of scientific field, you know, I think they've always got that story from when they were a kid. Uh, we actually think about a lot about this at Betabox, but if you think about like that Nobel Prize winner or that you know, famous entrepreneur, you know, they're up on stage giving the talk about you know, whatever important event it is along yeah. the way, the, the, the Stanford uh, graduation ceremony speech or the Nobel Prize acceptance, whatever that moment is. And they'll probably and at some point tell a story about when they were a kid, they had this one moment where it all just clicked, and then they went from there. So for me, it was always... Um, making stuff and trying to sell stuff. So I have all these weird stories along the way when I was growing up of nobody told me to do it and I was just like selling something that I had made and everyone was confused as to what was going to happen. I'll give you an example. So yeah. there's these things called cicadas, um, which probably people are familiar of, and they come out every 17 years. They're like these you know, inch and a half long bugs that make a horrible noise and they're like <laughs> all over the place. And for some reason, when I was a little kid, I thought it would be cool, um, or I thought people would want to remember uh, you know, these cicadas that came around uh, that was the idea that was in my head. So what happened was, um, and if you don't, if you don't remember, it was, they they just die everywhere. There's like you're stepping on crunchy cicadas everywhere. Um, and uh, for some reason, I saw this as like an opportunity, which was I got all the little six and seven year old kids uh, in the area where I was growing up to collect the just the wings of them, and they would just bring them to my door and in like little baggies, little Ziploc baggies filled with these bug wings. Um, and what I did was I glue them to buttons, like little normal buttons, like hot glue them to buttons, put a string on the back, put them in a box, and I would, you know, like hawk them around my school for like five or seven bucks. <laughs> and I would just sell these things. Like, for no, like everyone was confused, but I made like several hundred dollars doing this. And it was a lot of money as a little kid. Um, and I like, you, always, you always hear the stories of like Gary Vee yeah. when he talks about the wine. Right, yeah. well, most entrepreneurs are good salesmen. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right? So you were selling you're always, younger. You're always selling. Like whether yeah. you know, you may not even if even if you're more of like a technical person or more on an ops side, or uh, you're always selling as a founder. You're selling mm-hmm. employees to join your company, That's true. investors to give you money. Yep. It's all trust and it's all hey, this is what we're gonna do, and like here's why. You know, it's everything you're doing is is, is sales really, and mm-hmm. um, a lot of more, maybe more technical founders have like a negative stigma around 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 sales and I'm kind of weird in the middle where I've got half of that but then also you know I studied programming when I was in high school and engineering in college so mm-hmm. I was um, you know always kind of like one foot in both camps so I was always building stuff and then trying to sell stuff so that's where I was had many stories around that and um, 
That's just kind of one example of uh, the early story. But I, I didn't really know what it was called. I didn't know it was called entrepreneurship or whatever. And uh, yeah. and then that that more emerged when I came to college and connected with like my people, found my community yeah. at NC State that were doing similar stuff. And there's some important professors in the uh, in the college that, that helped that process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's cool, man. That's cool. So with with this company, I mean, do you feel like how I mean, in all honesty, how how difficult do you think it is to actually build a business now that you know you've been with it for a few years? Mm-hmm. Is it is it really as hard as they say it is? Because you know you see some people on TV, you see all these you know different successful startups. And you're like, man, it seems like they got there easy. They got all this funding, yeah. but you guys were bootstrapped. Yeah, right? we, so we you, were you we were bootstrapped for the first year, no and half, year, and, year and a half. There were there was um, about sixty five thousand dollars of grants that we got mixed yeah. in there, and then. Uh, in 2016, we raised some debt from some local angels invest- angel investors, and then now in 2017, we raised some more money on equity uh, with some investors based in Houston to start expanding okay. our operations. Are these, um, you said angel, or are they uh, venture? They're, they're angels. They're, okay. they're, 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 smaller. They're, yeah, they're small, yeah. smaller smaller guys, and um, um, <clears throat> we've just been talking to them for the longest time, and we like them as partners, so mm-hmm. we decided to work with them, and the money kind of came along with that partnership. Um, but... Um, in total, we've raised less than uh, less than 500k, so right around that 400 400k level. And okay. uh, um, most of our growth has been funded by our our revenue. So we are like a profitable startup, awesome. and we've been building any projects that we have off of off of those customer revenues. Um, aside from this more recent more recent fundraising, mm-hmm. but it's obviously difficult. I mean, I think anybody's going to tell you the worst stories. Uh, the I sort of think about it in you've got thrive mentality and survival mentality yeah, and you're constantly yeah. like op, within a day going between those two because you've got the long term thinking where you want to think as a founder that you're building mm-hmm. a, a, a huge skyscraper right so you want to think long term and you want to make decisions long term yep but your face you're like your face is getting ground against like the you know buzzsaw of survivability whether that's cash flow a key employee leaving whatever there's always going to be a crisis so to be able to have that capability to sort of navigate between um, I might die tomorrow but I still need to think about building a skyscraper yeah. is probably this is is is, an imp- is one of those like important skills uh, to be able to uh, make it happen and to not not to say that I'm some huge success I mean to the extent the, to the extent to which Betabox is still alive I appreciate that for yeah. so to have it continue to go and be profitable and um, you know, we've passed the passed the past the million dollar revenue mark um, at the beginning of this year, Great. and growing from there. So, yeah. you know, it's on track to be to be uh, to be a win over time, and uh, somewhere between not a, somewhere between failure and unicorn is where we'll land up. Somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> That's cool. So, so you you definitely believe in the saying that you know, being an entrepreneur is really you got to think of it more of a marathon than a sprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so absolutely. You definitely agree with that. Yeah, long-term thinking is key. Yeah. If you make short-term short-term decisions, if you try to get a de- get twenty percent more out of a customer uh, on this deal, you're going to lose that customer over the long term. Yep. Perhaps, as an example, and mm-hmm. there's millions of other things where if you make short-term decisions, you'll eventually lose. So it's about thinking about about the long term. It is a marathon. You know, think about this as a ten-year-plus uh, commitment of your time. And the only reason that you should even start a startup is um, because you actually believe in like the thing, the problem that it solves, and you yep. actually see an opportunity to make a difference. Because um, if you're just looking for like the best risk-adjusted return over time, don't do this. It doesn't mm-hmm. make sense, especially something new. So if you, I agree. So if you're if you're going to start something that like if you're going to start a pre-existing business model, like a, like a, maybe a clone or something else that has. Um, existed before. I kind of call that add an S principle. The reason for that is me and my mom love to play Scrabble, and uh, I would always uh, make her very, very mad because <laughs> I would wait until I got the S, and I would just add S's onto her amazing words that yeah. she would use and rack up points. So you know, that's one way to go about doing a startup too. If you want, like, um, this will happen in you know second tier markets or other countries where they see something that works in the U.S., some novel innovation, and then they'll make a clone of that. Yeah. Um, you've, a lot of your an- your questions have already been answered uh, around. Is a consumer actually going to do this? Can we make this profitable? You know, a lot of those questions have already mm-hmm. been figured out, uh, so you don't have to answer those questions for yourself. And if you haven't, if you're in somewhere where you haven't figured out all of those questions uh, around consumer adoption or your product is it going to work, is the technology going? If you've got if you've got a lot of miracles in series that have to occur for you to be successful, mm-hmm. uh, that just increases the risk. 
with us, you know, it's not a completely novel thing. There are STEM boxes that go around and stuff, but there's not. Yeah. We're, we are sort of the sole source of what we do. So we have had to figure out a lot of problems beneath the scenes that you may not think of. Like, how do you move containers around uh, efficiently? We originally, an original fly in our thinking was that our business was with the containers was going to be a week or more mm-hmm. rental length. So a school would get it almost as a mobile classroom replacement. One week, two week, longer term leasing. We realized there was almost no money there and schools, also schools didn't want it. What they wanted was an experience. They wanted the field trip. They wanted staff on site. They wanted consumables provided. And it's for a day, right? It's for one to two days is usually the length okay. of our current format. And then we're, we have a week long format too, which is more of an after school program. Cool. But I think of it as a one to two day thing, 100 kids a day, about 10 bucks or less per student. And uh, it's very much an experience. It's not we're, we're renting you a lab that you have to go configure yourself. We're mm-hmm. really providing an experience for the kids, yeah. Yeah, that's um, great. So, but you got to figure out, okay, how do we move these things around one to two days each, right? These are big mm-hmm. shipping containers, so we have to figure that out. You know, how do we uh, crack a business model that works within education? That's a whole other challenge. Yeah, so that's you, a challenge. You come across these, these solutions, and that just oh, yeah. increases the the risk or increases the difficulty of um, what you're doing. Probably just because as well, I'm assuming the schools are the ones who pay you, right? That's how you guys make Mostly. Profit. So about 35 to 40% of our rentals are directly paid for by schools. That's public schools, private schools, um, sometimes museums and other groups will, will rent yeah. us. And they're, they're pulling that money from grants, PTA, existing budgets, school district budgets, you know, mm-hmm. that's about 35 to 40%. So what happened about a year and a half ago was we figured out how to partner with industry to deploy our service at broader scales. So the remaining percentage chunks of those revenues are from our quote unquote powered by Betabox business, where we're doing co-branded content and co-branded boxes with larger, usually STEM companies to deploy these educational experiences. So a good example of that is we have something with a large life sciences and pharmaceuticals company, uh, Millipore Sigma, that has been operating a 20-city um, national tour of oh, one wow. of our boxes, doing all life sciences experiences, um, gene editing, uh, DNA extraction, brain cancer research, uh, you know, biological nanobot design. We've designed all this interesting life science-oriented wow. content. That's and they've cool. done it in like 25 states, uh, several hundred thousand kids have gone through the program. Mm-hmm. I don't want to quote the exact number because uh, the program's not over yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. But it started in California. Yeah. And it's gone pretty much through all the states between there and it's ending in Rockville, Maryland. And the great thing about this is they prepaid us to deploy this one-year program and it's 100% free to the schools that we go to. So because of this company, Millipore Sigma, now all of these schools, lots of free and reduced lunch, low-income schools mm-hmm. in difficult mm-hmm. places and in, in, in environments, you know, they're able to get this educational program uh, not for ten dollars a student, not for five dollars a student, for zero dollars a student, and that's been uh, that's been major. So, like I said earlier, about seventy percent of what we do is now through some sort of partnership with an organization that wants yeah. to have impact in their community in this way. So you're you're also so are you primarily targeting just schools, or you're going to get more into yeah. companies, businesses? Do you think like like for example, like you could probably use this. You know, um, use these little hubs as like maybe test labs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So there's all um, there's an inf- a nearly infinite amount of use cases that you could potentially put into a into a beta box. We've talked. Mm-hmm. We've had um, people want to use it for like packaging at apartment complexes. We've had people want it for, like packaging storage. We've had people want it, like Amazon lockers and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We've had um, people want to use it for innovation labs. We actually have a customer that uses it for pop-up innovation and co-creation with consumers cool. in, in like target yeah, park- yeah, yeah. in like target parking lots and stuff where they come up with new product <laughs> ideas. Yeah. Um, a lot of different ideas. And we've messed around and experimented with pretty much everything um, that there is in these directions. We've also we've also talked about, you know, leasing them directly to startups. Um, if you've got a phase of your you know, Gantt chart where you need an electronics lab for your project or your new product development, lease it from us and then we take it away and you don't have to buy all of that equipment. We've evaluated a lot of these business models and what we've ultimately determined is, again, pressure equals force over area. We've got to focus and we went back to what do we, what do I, what do we intrinsically care about? And for, for me, that's education. Like I think if you pick an industry to have impact, education is a great one because um, it's highly leveraged. You've got um, mm. you've got uh, an impact that can happen to one student that can be leveraged across that entire kid's career if yeah. you've actually made a difference. Maybe you've pushed them into an aerospace field or something, and now that person is ten years from now designing the rocket that goes to Mars, right? So you can have a lot of yeah. leverage over time. If you have impact in education, and then of course it's future of America. There's so many op- kids are, there's just so many yeah. problems and challenges associated with it. Um, 
So uh, that's kind of why we focus on, on the education piece. And uh, within that, we focus on really K-12, specifically middle and elementary school for now. And uh, okay. that's, that's really the focus of, of our brand, Betabox, and our model. Not to say containers can't be used for other things or that there's not money to be made in those other things. We've just chosen to kind of focus in that area that we want to have the impact. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I can imagine, like, you know, we talked a little bit about bootstrapping the business. That's def- mm-hmm. definitely difficult. I'm sure you recognize that starting the business, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That's why you, you were seeking some funding. Mm-hmm. Um, so help you guys, you know, scale and grow quicker and yep. hire more people. And, yep. um, did you find, like, what were some of the biggest challenges you had in trying to get funding? And in trying to get funding? You know, talking to these angels. Sure. Was, it, was it the pitch? Was, your, was it your idea? Was it proof of concept? Um you know, mm-hmm. what was kind of some of the big, the biggest problems that you had? I think that the interesting thing about Betabox is it takes the right type of, it takes, I mean, it takes the right type of investor that kind of understands what we're attempting to do. And we'll first backing up, like, is money, is raising money even the right thing for this kind of company? Right. You know, is it a lifestyle business? Is, is it a uniform? Where, where, where does it fit in? And, you know, we're, we're ultimately like a, line, a, a linear to, not exponentially, but we're like a doubling every year, tripling every year type of company that can build off of its own cash mm-hmm. flows if executed properly. But, you know, it's an execution business. This is yeah. not a technology breakthrough that's going to lead to a 10x return over over a year or two years yeah. um, and uh, uh, it's, it's thinking about pitch, telling the story in the right way to the right type of investor first right so picking which doors to knock on is 80% of it they need to understand your it. vision so that's yeah. definitely a tip you can give, yeah, exactly, you can give people yeah. finding, don't just get any investor make sure that they really yeah, have their exactly. aligned same goals and, and make sure that yeah. you know, your company is aligned with their investment strategy right like, yeah. think, reverse engineer it entrepreneurs are way too focused on um, well, I just need money, so I'm going to go talk to every living body out there that might have some money like, um, yeah. until until I get something. Well, you know, the spray and pray is going to kill you because what's going to happen is um, like a little you know drop of food coloring in a glass empty glass. It's going to spread through the whole community. It's going to instantly everyone's going to know that you're just shopping yeah. around for funds and uh, you may or may not have something. And so we were very slow. I mean, we would rather be be bootstrapped as, for longer than raise a lot of money. I think if you're going to choose if you're, Choosing right now, should I raise money? Should I not raise money? Except for the edge cases around, um, around like real technology breakthroughs, where there's in a very there's a very uh, tight time window within which you've uh-huh. got to capitalize on on your opportunities so you can grab all the market share, winner take all market, et cetera, et cetera. If you're not in one of those, it makes sense to mm-hmm. um, string yourself out as long as you can on on your own funds. And I think the number one reason for that is you force your thing to actually make money to feed itself. So if you can really push your thing to um, find its find its niche, find its profitability, even though it's going to be more painful in the short term, you're also going to benefit from that pain in the long term because um, you know you, you you are going to be less dependent on exterior funds or, th- or third-party funds to come in because yeah. if you just want to go slower, you can just keep building. You're going to retain a little bit more of your company. You're going to probably find, um, you're probably going to find customers and business models that may may, may work faster because you've mm-hmm. got the, you've got the um, fear of survival in the background, right? Yeah. You know, and so things become very real, even though it's obviously more potentially more painful. Things become very real, very real, very quick, and it, mm-hmm. you know, it creates that fire to keep going. At least it does for me. Maybe not for everyone, but I've just found bootstrapping to be an extremely healthy thing to do if you're thinking long term about. Um, you know, I'd rather have more 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 pain now or whatever else. Uh, so I definitely would recommend yeah. bootstrapping as long as possible if you're in the position to do so. So I'm assuming your investors are pretty happy. You said you're right I now. Hope so. you guys are, I don't know. They'll probably listen to this, so they'll probably email me if they are or not. <laughs> um, so I'm sure. I'm sure they're happy. I mean, it seems like you guys have, a, have an amazing concept, and and you're building a little, you're building a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're and we talked about motives. You're doing it for the right reasons. You're helping these kids out. You're inspiring innovation. There's a lot of things that you're doing right. Um, and I think that um, I, I'm assuming that the investors who you know who funded you guys, they saw that with their They had the same. Um, they, they, they saw your vision. They believed mm-hmm. in it. Like mm-hmm. we talked about, making sure that they're yeah. on the same page with you. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. So I'm, I'm sure yeah, they're absolutely. very, very happy. And then the, the thing is, uh, you know, folks are going to invest in in your idea and you. So I think, um, you know, everyone everyone makes mistakes you know, along the way. And if you think yeah, of about, course. Um, our first is your idea. Does your idea line up with their investment profile and what they're interested in and passionate about? And also, you know, are you the are you the person? So something I've had to think a lot about as you know, just a young kid with no idea what he's doing, trying to figure out um, 
what's happening as he goes along is a lot of the weaknesses that you have yourself. You know, a lot, mm. like a big thing that I went through was what I'd call like identity um, association. So a lot of founders, younger ones, I would say, especially at least if it's like their first first go around, um, you identify your self-worth so much with the company yeah. that you're starting. And I think that leads to a lot of additional stress that is completely not talked about mm. um, because we're all crushing it, right? Everything's amazing all the time. No, yeah. There's no, no problems anywhere. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> since, since we're all crushing it I wish it, it was time, that way. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but just to, just to go, just to decouple, you know, your, your self-worth from the outcomes of the company is like a huge psychological gift that once you have cracked, you become a lot healthier as a founder to say like, yeah, we lost that deal, um, uh, but that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It means yeah. we're going to try again next time. There's like this uh, um, old like Taoist story um, around this farmer, and basically, the, the, I'm not going to take too long on it, but basically, the idea is he's there's this farmer. He's got this uh, you know this farm, obviously, and uh, he's got this um, uh, horse that runs away, and his mm-hmm. neighbors come over to him and he says. Uh, they're like, oh, what a hardship. It's so your, your horse has run away. And he goes, maybe. And then the next day, the horse comes back with five other wild horses that he's attracted. And the guys come to him and they go, you know, oh, wow, what an amazing thing. You've got all yeah. these horses. And he goes, maybe. But then the next day, his kid rides one of the wild horses, breaks his foot. Oh, what a hardship, right? And then the day after that, there's a lot going on at this farm. The day after that, um, uh, a guy from the empire comes to draft young strapping lads to join the military forces that are going to go, you know, fight Genghis Khan or whoever. And uh, uh, since he's got the broken foot, they don't take him. And mm-hmm. then they go back, oh, how wonderful your, your, your son can say, maybe. And the moral of the story is, you know, some things are good, some things are bad. If you think long term, things tend to change in the long run if they were good or bad. Um, so just think that way, you know, that short term problem may end up being the opportunity later if you just kind of disassociate yourself yep. from the outcomes and just keep moving. Yep. And you're going to face a lot of obstacles, just a mm-hmm. matter of overcoming them, learning from them, improving, mm-hmm. taking the, you know, baby steps, baby improvements every single mm-hmm. day. That's what I always tell my Absolutely. employees. I say, guys, like, yeah. listen, just baby steps every day of improvement. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, if you, if we, we try to find one thing to improve every single day, 365 days a year, that's a lot of improvement. Absolutely. So yeah. it takes, it's going to, it's just, even though yep. you're going to have a lot of struggles, we'll talk about challenges and struggles in a little bit, but mm-hmm. I mean, if you continue to improve, regardless of the struggles, you're going to, you're going to be at another level. Absolutely. The next year. You know what I mean? So, Absolutely. And, and really at the end of the day, what is, what, what is it really all about, right? Like we're, we're, yeah. like we're creatures built on evolution. Companies are the same. They're just collections of evolution-based creatures. And we're mm-hmm. just going to continue ev- moving forward, evolving, becoming the best version of yourself, becoming the best company that you can be, focusing on process, focusing on execution and excellence, and just being better each day, one foot mm-hmm. in front of the other. Like that is like su- the successful win, like the big wins, mm-hmm. the big de- the big whale that you close or whatever else, you know, that those are lagging indicators of like a healthy functioning evolving organization so just focus on those as a, as a leader and you probably will do pretty well absolutely cool um so uh, go, jumping a little bit towards the the you know a little more on the the business side mm-hmm. um i would say specifically marketing so mm-hmm. you guys do experimental marketing sure yeah okay, okay. sure yeah. so mm-hmm. not in terms of how you market yourself just the type of business that you are mm-hmm. how would you compare that to digital marketing Mm-hmm. Um, experiential you, marketing versus digital versus marketing. digital. Do mm-hmm. you think experiment experiential is kind of is that what you think digital is kind of fading away, or do you think experiment because people want to see they want to touch things they want to you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And yeah. I don't see too much too many people using experimental marketing more than digital. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. digital is booming. Sure, it's absolutely. In terms it. of volume revenue, of course, yeah, digital marketing yeah. is by far. I mean, the, you know, your experiential marketing is very much a cottage industry. I mean, and mm-hmm. by the way, folks will come to us to say, hey, we want to use our tra- your trailers. Um, well, they're not trailers. I don't know why I just said that. You know, that's what they say in their yeah. emails. I have to correct them. Uh, your boxes. As, a, uh, your boxes. as experiential marketing, you know, trailers or, or, or boxes or whatever else. Yeah. And they come to us and, and ask us that. And, you know, it's not really our focus. We'll try to help if possible. Um, it seems... It seems to be ticking up. I think the pop-ups um, would be the word that I've seen pop up a lot more and more recently. And all of those are digital, physical integrations. So it's not just, hey, here's a physical-only experience, experiential-only. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's connecting it to an app. It's it's um, you know going to a website later. You know, there's a lot of there's, yeah, there's yeah, a, yeah. It's a hybrid approach very much. Um, I was recently at a I was at a conference in Boston last week um, called uh, Hub Week, and 50 shipping containers there. We were, we were one of them, and. Uh, 
you know, it's all digital physical. It's, yeah, there's a physical interaction, but mm -hmm. here we're showing you this new API that we're launching, and then here's where you can. It's 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 a lot of integration that's happening in the experience marketing world. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> cool. So, so you would consider your company? I mean, definitely Internet of Things. Parts of it. Um, I mean, not really. The place that we would dabble with IOC would be within our experiences. So one plug mm -hmm. for a customer that I'm very, very excited about is locally, we've got um, IBM Watson partnered with us to deploy um, hands-on you know, hands experiential learning for IoT experiences throughout okay. the region. So we've, they've got a really cool thing called uh, TJBot, which is like a ras yeah. laser-cut Raspberry Pi. Um, Raspberry Pi, yeah, I've seen those. And uh, yeah, you, can, yeah, yeah. you can build a little chatbot, and uh, you can also build a little robot that... Uh, um, uh, can send, do tone analysis and sentiment analysis uh, through Twitter to basically change the color of the light on there. So, I mean, we're, we have experiences that are mm. really pure IoT. Yeah. As a broader company, you know, we're not really an IoT company, but we plug in cool little things along the way. Like we track our, we built this little thing to, a um, little Raspberry Pi thing to track our trucks, so like asset tracking, like internal stuff, so we know like where in the country <laughs> our trucks are. That's kind of what I was are. talking about. We, like, have, we have those pieces embedded within what we do. Yeah. Right, right. So, I mean, you're able to see, I mean, through your, I, I'm gonna call them boxes. What do you say? Call beta them? boxes is right. fine. Beta, no. Let's boxes. utilize the trademark. All right. <laughs> so these beta boxes. All right. So you go to let's just say you're you're in Charleston, South Carolina. So you go there, visit some some schools. Are you able to see which areas are are, are more effective? Like if you're you know if these boxes are making more of a of an impact to these kids rather than Raleigh? Do you see what I'm saying? Things like mm -hmm. that you can track. Yeah, we track because you can see every every area. I mean, yeah, absolutely. We track it's a so lot. Different. Of, we track a lot of stuff. We also um, we, we get a lot of anecdotal feedback as well from mm -hmm. um, teachers around the experience, and um, we have all of our on uh, field field people track you know volume during the day of kids, but also like engagement, that physical engagement. You know, how long are kids interacting? With exactly. Stuff. And then tracking that regionally is um, is really interesting, and mm -hmm. we're using that for our own purposes because we're thinking about expanding and which markets are the best for us to expand into. Right. Um, and uh, we're also using it just because it's. It's really interesting because it's a reflection of the education system. I mean, part of our mission is if we can increase the percentage of a student's day, a student anywhere, that is learning in a hands-on way, inquiry-based, you know, asking questions, being curious, and then the educational system sort of falling behind them to layer in some key fundamental concepts, then that would be a huge win. If we can just shift you know, schools more towards that modality of teaching by showing the possibilities, um, then we're winning. And if mm -hmm. we can actually track over time as we go and recur to go to schools again and again and again, is that increasing, right? Are we seeing yeah. that? Is are we seeing that tick up? And um, how's that changing? So, I mean, that's 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 stuff that we're that we're tracking throughout throughout different places for sure. And when you and when you're you know when you have these students go into the, the beta boxes, mm -hmm. um, you know they're building prototypes. They have you know all these kids are so intelligent, man. Yep. It's crazy how smart these kids are. It is, yeah. And they have, mm -hmm. there's so many. Um, they're just so. So many amazing ideas. I mean, these these kids are the future of America. I mean, they are literally, yeah, right? tautologically, yeah. So, in essence, like, how do you ever get the question of what's really the process of building a prototype? I'm sure a lot of people mm -hmm. want want to hear that because we get, you know, for my company, we get a lot of, you know, people asking us, oh, what's considered a minimum viable product? What's considered an MVP? Mm -hmm. What's considered a prototype? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, do you have mm -hmm. steps that you tell these students of, hey, kids, like, yeah. these, this is what you have to do to mm -hmm. to build something. It may not be something you're obviously going to sell. I mean, you have 3D printers there mm -hmm. in the in the yep. beta boxes. You have yep. all these different gadgets and things to, to build mm -hmm. a, a physical product with. Yeah. But I'll, I'll, take, I'll yeah. kind of do, uh, I'll storytell like a day in the life of what maybe like a, a pretender, whoever's listening, a, a fifth grader that is walking up to a beta box and you're at one of our design thinking sessions, which is going to be the best, <laughs> yeah. the closest thing. Yeah. And uh, our, so our, we run you know, a process very similar to the Stanford D School design thinking process, and that's a Googleable thing, and you can mm -hmm. research that. They have online classes and a lot of great resources associated with that. But um, uh, what you're doing as this fifth grader that's showing up to this beta box is you're going to immediately within five minutes start collaborating with somebody. And uh, you're going to be given an open-ended theme. Usually we'll do something like, you know, how do you make your teacher's life better? And then it starts with interviews, right? It just starts with, you know, getting the empathy piece, like putting yourself in the shoes and um, of, of the person that you're building for. And then I think what's interesting, a lot of people know this general process of, you know, the empathy, the prototyping, the testing, the experimenting, the iterating. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are familiar with that general process. Um, a very narrow subset of the people that are familiar with that process actually, you know, drink the Kool-Aid because, <laughs> because it feels like it's slower in the short term, even yeah. though it makes you go faster in the long term, that short term, long term thinking. But um, 
the, the pieces that are interesting for me along the way is like where do people get stuck or where do people get confused or where do people try to jump too fast? So a lot of people skip over, you know, the volume of initial stakeholder interviews. People um, skip past that, that a lot. And then the other piece that's interesting is people really undercut the soft prototyping. So people are too, I think the incentives of this type of thing, of this new project or new product development, you want to jump to scalability or really build polished stuff, I think, too early. So I think that um, if everyone, no matter if they're this fifth grader that I'm talking about or you know somebody at a larger enterprise designing a product is, how can you scale back your prototype to paper and scissors and like pipe cleaners? Is there a way to do that? And that's, we actually call that, we, we ripped off a terminology from this guy, Tom Chi, that worked at um, Google, and he worked on Google uh, Glass originally. Yeah. And uh, he's got this amazing term called speed of thought um, prototyping. And basically what that means, it's before the 3D printers, before the laser cutter, before balsamic, before, you know, whatever it is, uh, yeah. vision, but it's, it's, it's even before that. Um, uh, before any code, and it's just um, like literally like, like paper and laying stuff out. And uh, the story that he's got around that is you can learn. Uh, the story that has helped me pitch this when I'm giving a design thinking session, you know, I've done this with, you know, the army and they're like, oh, we have no idea what you're talking about. And like, why can't we just make something real, you know? So you got to sell them on a story of why am I actually going to do soft prototyping, like on paper or whatever, mm -hmm. before I just jump into it. And you can learn a lot of real, really important concepts. For example, this Google Glass, so the first thing they learned in like two hours, there's this there's video online about this, but they learned within two hours of using chopsticks and paper and tape and you know puff balls and stuff. Mm -hmm. They made a prototype and uh, you know, instead of taking three months to do it, they found that in two hours they just had to design the Google Glass to have the batteries behind the ear. And the reason for that was the weight would come off the front of the face and the ear would act like a fulcrum mm. and then that would make it feel a lot lighter. Yeah. So they learned this important like engineering design requirement very, very quickly um, without having to do like any actual work. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that can like make a difference in a new product development schedule. So um, I think that's like the one piece where people get, people just kind of skip over it because it sounds like soft or fluffy and it's yeah. like, well, why am I going to have take a half day to like make something out of pipe cleaners? That doesn't make sense. Um, but because I, but I know what you guys are doing, which is amazing. That's why I love it. It's like mm -hmm. when you're hands on, you actually do it yourself. You're, you're actually oh, building yeah. it. Yep. The, the, I think for at least mm -hmm. when I, when I do this, the brain, you learn so much quicker than you just reading Absolutely. an article or even watching yep. a video or, yep. you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, visual is better than just yep. reading, but I mean, when you're actually doing it, Absolutely. that's the power and of experimental marketing, right? Exactly. And yeah. like the, the um, I mean, even though we've skewed, as a, you know, a culture, we've skewed so heavily digital, we have to like, you know, think about our roots, you know, we're like physical people. We are yeah. physical people in 3D space, um, regulated by the fourth dimension of time. Like mm -hmm. we are not flatlanders in a digital universe. So <laughs> we have evolved and learned to uh, think in 3D and think tactically and visually and take all of those sensory inputs that we're taking in yeah. uh, to inform, you know, the neural configurations that are happening, which make us come up with ideas. So um, just thinking of us as like these physical people, it definitely makes sense to mm -hmm. keep physical components to like what you're doing. And, uh, you know, there's faster, faster paths to innovation there. And the other big thing about this is environment. What environment are you learning in? What environment are you building in? Um, makes a huge difference. So if you think about, for example, before I was doing Betabox, I was working as a... Um, design engineer at an energy company and I worked at a really crappy desk in the middle of nowhere in this massive facility and uh, it was not a not an exciting innovative environment mm -hmm. and that's where everyone else worked in a similar little cubicle and like very little innovation was coming out yeah. of this company. They were riding on the coattails of some patents from the 80s, right? And they were just taking profits until their eventual, you know, innovator's dilemma demise, right? <laughs> that's, that's what was happening at that company. And a big piece of it was, could you change the environment? So we think about that a lot at Betabox. That's part of the reason we use containers instead of trailers or anything else, mm -hmm. is that environment is so key to it the mindset because we are these physical people. So we're yep. thinking about, you know, how can that learning environment or the innovation environment, whatever it is, you know, how can that... Um, inform or be like a sous chef if you think of your space that you're in as like a sous chef to the chef that's designing mm -hmm. right so we have like the expo markers in the walls all the walls are whiteboards we're insetting tvs now into things and um, wood floors and make it look nice and inviting and exciting yeah. and um, then get the basics done like ac and heating and cooling so you don't think about all that stuff so you're freed up you're not constrained by the environment and you feel um, like you can click into that like more creative stage and you know obviously in office design and everything is um 
is a big area, but it's 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 a place where you can have a lot of a lot of impact. Um, Mm-hmm. If you want to try to reshape the mindsets of the folks that are doing the designing, you know, reshape the the space in which they're the, doing the design. The environment which they're working in. Mm-hmm. Cool. And even the, th- in the, the team around them is important, too. <laughs> oh, that's huge. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's that's some good cool. workshops, by the way, if, if folks are interested in the, the team design. I mean, you've got to create a conducive environment for the innovation to occur. So, you know, people may have been familiar with, like, yes and or a lot of the improv rules mm-hmm. that have, have spilled into business. Um, there's a, there's a seven thinking hats is another good one to Google around. If you've got um, a guy on your team that's always no but and killing the innovation, you know, there's some cool little workshops that you can do. And, again, that's one of those things that um, to some people sounds soft or fluffy. Why are we going to do this workshop? Why are we going to make some out of pipe cleaners? Um, just try it. Just get what's going to go wrong. Just yeah. try it. See if it, see if it helps, you know. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. So what are uh, any, any future plans? What are the future plans for Betablock? Yeah, so this um, next year is going to be pretty exciting for us. We've got expansion on the horizon. The experimentation and innovation is, um, uh, you know, just in, in the main part of our business is kind of in the rear view, and now it's about adding zeros, adding markets. So we want to expand. We're expanding into Houston in the early part of 2018 in the, nice. Texas, the Texas area, moving throughout the Midwest. And you know, over time, we really want to build not only a national presence, but really an international presence. Mm-hmm. Um, there's um, a lot of things about Betabox that lends itself to being an international company and having impact beyond just America. And so that's something that we're focused on. So there's going to be a lot of um, new announcements in terms of places that you will be seeing Betaboxes over the next uh, several months. And then once we can get a little bit of that expansion under our belt, uh, just driving forward with what we have, then it's about product uh, expansion, portfolio mm-hmm. expansion of, of what we actually sell. Um, we've got, I can, uh, you know, we're among friends here, so I can talk a little bit about what's on the horizon there. Yeah. But a big request that we've had is, you know, why are you just having, um, why can only schools get this, right? Could a parent, could I as a parent ever like pay for this? How could I experience hmm. this if I want to bring my kid? Um, so we are going to be in this area pretty soon prototyping pop-ups where you can directly register your, 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 your little one for a beta box experience. doesn't even have to go to their school. It's going to be, you know, um, you know, less, cool. less than 25 bucks to go to this thing and you have a cool, awesome hands-on experience like on a Saturday hoc. morning yeah. at a park, you know, um, Dorothea Dix or whatever, just the locations nearby. We're going to be thinking about putting some pop-up experiments. Um, we think that's going to be pretty cool. And, that's uh, cool. you know, over time, who knows where that, where that leads, mm-hmm. uh, Maybe it leads to micro schools throughout different regions that we're doing. You know, who knows where that leads over time? But we're just trying to go in the direction of um, hands-on learning is critical, and, and learning and learning environments really inform the learning that's happening. And um, you know, just because I'm talking a lot about education, but maybe to give an analogy from the software world, if you think about uh, artificial intelligence yeah. uh, and AI, you know, how are we training these AIs now? These narrow, these narrow AIs, you know, self-driving cars or whatever, or photo recognition, whatever it is, you know, we're giving them data. We're push, we're feeding data into these right. learning algorithms. That's all we're doing, mm-hmm. and the quality of that data is going to define the way in which that algorithm is going to operate. Which I think a lot of people overdo the, comp- the comparing the human brain to computers. But if you think about, you know. These, these, all these young kids all around us, you know, it's, it's about putting them in those environments, giving them data and sensory input to sort of inform like, how they're mm-hmm. going to go about doing things. So the quality of that environment is, is just so important. And unfortunately, you know, the quality of environments at a lot of the traditional education, um, you know, facilities that a lot of our young kids are going to are not up to par. They're old equipment, old computers, mm-hmm. old technology. The technology is not there. Um, the classroom is falling. It's a bunch of ugly concrete everywhere. Um, and you know, there's this quote: "The future's already here; it's just not evenly distributed." So a lot yeah. of the compu- a lot of the stuff we know about AR, all the lenses, VR, three um, D printing, all this kind of stuff that are like old to us. I say three D printing. I mean, that's five, ten years, twenty yeah, years old. That's right? true. That's old school stuff. But it's <clears throat> it's brand new mm-hmm. to millions and millions of kids throughout the country. And actually, this year I've been through uh, fifteen cities, seen a lot of schools, and. Kids' eyes are still lighting up at 3D printing, even if we think it, think it's really old. So, um, and, you, and, yeah. and you, I'm sure you're surprised of how many of these kids know about AI, AR. Oh, the thing that is surprising so to me is once you get the thing that blows me the way the most is like give the kids the tools and like you will see the creativity come out of them if like, given the proper conditions. Creating mm-hmm. those conditions is big. It's not about saying. Um, you know, you've got to go to STEM and here's like the programs we're going to put you into or you've yeah, got to do this or got yeah. to do that. It's not about really forcing a kid to go a certain direction. It's about 
just creating the conditions for natural incl- inclinations to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a lot of what happens in Betabox because there's these different tools and they go here, they go there. Um, and uh, it's just, it's very, it's very interesting to see and it's very different. We don't have a, um, we don't have disciplinary problems. So if you think about what percentage of a teacher's day, you know, a, lot of, a lot of folks that are really passionate about teaching or education will go maybe into like Teach for America and, you know, um, a lot of times they'll get a little jaded after going into a program and then into a, a school and then working for a while because mm. it's the, the system kind of uh, changes the mindset where you can Absolutely. lose some of the passion. I agree. Yeah, and um, it's because a lot of it's disciplinary. It's mm-hmm. classroom management, right? Well, if you just engage the kids and get them excited, mm-hmm. the disciplinary yep. Yep. stuff drops by 80%. And so we have very limited disciplinary problems at our field trips because kids are just engaged because people learn in a hands-on way. So why aren't we doing more of that? And it's crazy some of the classes these kids are taking in schools and they don't yeah. learn about the things that you're teaching them, mm-hmm. right? In these yeah. beta box and hey, textbooks are outdated, pretty, pretty you amazing. know. And, and that's part of why we started to partner with the industry because, um, you know, we've got like for the one I was talking about where we're working on this this CRISPR stuff. This CRISPR, like, think about how long it's going to take for CRISPR. And some people listening may not even be familiar with this. This is actually what I'm going to be for Halloween. It's a gene editing technology. Every year I'm trying to be a real stupid. <laughs> That's fun a first. For Halloween. <laughs> I love and so it. I'm going to have cool. like scissors and mom jeans that I'm just going to cut up and like leave them around the party that I go to. <laughs> and uh, I'll be like, you know, editing jeans, cutting jeans up. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, if you want to, you know, see, I encourage you to do the same. You're going to so, be unique at that part. Exactly. But, I guarantee um, you. Uh, but, like, think about how long that technology is going to take to hit a textbook. A really long time. But kids are, are getting it right now, like, uh, on Betabox stuff, because we've partnered with the industry and we've closed that, that loop, that knowledge loop, uh, to get the stuff there faster, mm. which, is, which is important because... Uh, by the time the thing hits the textbooks, the kids are already going already to need to be familiar with that because they're going to be needing to learn about it in biology, you know, undergraduate, oh, yeah. right? So just yeah. tightening that, that loop around how soon are new things that are just emerging on the horizon and getting to, you know, all areas of the education system is important. Cool, man. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's amazing stuff. Um, so I want to touch a little bit on, so we... You know, before this podcast, you know, me and you were talking a little bit about struggles mm-hmm. and challenges in building a company, yep. building a brand, being an entrepreneur. What are some of the the biggest obstacles you faced, and how did you really overcome them? Where's some of the struggles mm-hmm. that you went through? Yeah, I think um, you know, there's just basics. Uh, ultimately, you've got to take ownership of basically everything in your company, every problem. Every um, in, in a certain extent, which is this adds to the identity association thing from earlier, but everything kind of flows up to you. It's, it's kind of your fault at the end of the day. You yeah. can always make a um, you can always you know make it the case that it's your fault. Um, I'll give you an example that happened this week. Is one of our drivers um, went under a bridge that was too low, and the AC unit of one of our boxes just completely was crushed by mm-hmm. the bridge. It hit the bridge. Wow! Yeah. So you think, all right. This is this driver's fault, uh, full responsibility to this driver, disciplinary action, etc. Um, but then you broaden your mindset a little bit and you think about, um, like, what was my training? Like, what, what training did we give to this driver? And, you know, who designed that training? And you can, you can reverse engineer it to the point that it was like, crap, this was my fault and here's the reason. So, first of all, that's a good mindset and I didn't start with that mindset. I used to think... Um, you know, it's easier to play the play the blame game, right? So you got to learn that thinking. So there's yeah. a lot of those kinds yep. of things that, that just the taking ownership and the um, being able to. A big thing for me was communicating just bad news. Being able to be early about saying bad things was a big learning for me. Um, of it's just so much better to just say the shit early rather than letting it go. You yeah. got to learn this stuff. Not everybody, you know. Uh, yep. It's not. Always, it's true. definitely not always easy, especially if you've associated your identity with your with the the startup where you want to live in this sort of fuzzy a fuzzy happiness that is happening, you know, um, to the side. And so that would be, I guess, the last thing is there's an awesome quote that. Um, you know, suffering is the moment you see reality for what it is for the first time, like really seeing it truthfully. And that's what suffering is because you had a fake idea of what you thought the reality was. My company's amazing. My company culture is great. I'm the best. And then you hear, oh, crap, here's all these problems and issues that I was kind of just not fully focused on. Um, and then you go through pain and suffering, right? But then if you go through that and then you understand how to solve those problems, 
well, then you're coming out the other, other side stronger. So yeah. that just like being able to just run towards <coughs> the great bad mentality. thing, uh-huh. like firefighter, like running yeah. into like a burning building, like that's where you need to be going. Run that's into right. a burning building. Um, and uh, there's like this, uh, that's like, that's just like those, those kind of basic skills are, are key. And you don't learn those in a lot of um, places. You know, it's, mm. you, there's not a lot of different places, maybe sports or some other things, but like just kind of all those different things of, of just mental, mental ways of being and thinking to, you know, be successful. That's those areas have been the most important for, yeah. for me to learn. And it's uh, less about, oh, I don't know accounting. Let me learn accounting. Or I'm an engineer that can't, you know, fundraise. Let me go learn that. That stuff's easy. You know, like if you're just a person that knows how to learn things, you know, you can mm-hmm. Google YouTube videos and you can figure stuff out on how to do those, those, those tactics, those skills. But those overall mindset shifts that you have to make that might be really deeply ingrained, right? It mm-hmm. might be, you know, whatever, some real deep thing. I know what you're thing. talking about. Yeah, those yeah. are the key. Those things are what hold you back. Yeah. And they're the hardest to get right. And they're the difficult habits to reform because um, of how deep they often are. Yeah, you kind of, I've noticed a lot um, with, with Imagine Ovation is you have to learn how to pivot very quickly sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you're right, being mindful, you got to change mindsets very, very quickly sometimes. Yeah. It's crazy. It's hard. It's very it's, hard. It's hard. It's very, very it's challenging. Hard. Um, and also, you know, I've noticed is, you know, just putting in, I don't believe you have to put in a certain amount of hours per day. You know, they say, oh, you have to work 16 hours a day to mm-hmm. be successful. I, I don't know. I don't think you have to put a number on it. I'm not saying you have to, you know, put in mm-hmm. five, six hours a day. No, it requires work. I mean, yeah, I think, sure. I think especially the, the first, you know, probably four to five years mm-hmm. building, the, the, building the foundation of the company, of mm-hmm. the business, mm-hmm. um, you have to put in. You have to put in the hours. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. I'm not going to sit here and say it's going to be 12, 15, or whatever, but mm-hmm. putting in seven or eight hour day, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily putting a number to it. It's just because you're going to have so much work to do mm-hmm. that an mm-hmm. eight hour day is not enough. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's no, why you're absolutely. working. Yep. We know this, right? That's mm-hmm. why you're working 12, 15 hours mm-hmm. a day. Not forever, hopefully, but, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, yeah, and then, did you have any thoughts on that? Or? Yeah, I mean, there's a pretty good heuristic for folks where, you know, year one of a business is two years of work, year two of a business is a year and a half of work, year three of a business is a year of work. Now, it was pretty much double that for me. Maybe it's doubled that for others as well, <laughs> but... Um, it's obviously going to be. It's obviously going to be more work. It is going to be more hours, and uh, uh, you know that's back to the do it while you love it. But then there's also the, yeah. um, you know, do you, are they high quality hours? So are you just like, do you have your basic like, you know, your time management down, your productivity efficiency? Down? Are they high quality hours? Mm-hmm. For a good example for me is like if I'm trying to do anything creative, I cap out at two three hours a day. To be honest with you, I mean like just to get really great like flow, yeah. flow state creative hours. If you get two hours a day out of that, and you can actually as a manager, you know maker versus manager type thinking here, if you can actually get two, just two hours of actual creative strategic thinking out of your day, uh, for me that's a huge win because it's, you're utilizing so much brain power. You're you're, you're so you're, yeah, you're, you're, so, you're so in the moment. It, it, it requires. I don't it think re- of it as time management. I think of yeah. it as like I think of my day as willpower management. Yeah. So I think about um, and I schedule my day with like pomodoros. Not um, I don't know if you would know about the pomodoro <laughs> technique, but um, uh, 25 minutes with bursts of um, yeah, kind of I, short breaks. I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is a great technique. So I, I kind of schedule my day with that. But then I think about like my willpower. I kind of think of it as like a game. Like you've mm-hmm. got a certain amount of like gems or willpower that you're depleting throughout the day versus hours. And then that creative time sucks up like 50% of my willpower. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, like it's just, but if you can get that, that's, that's key because uh, the other pieces, of course, just like the interruptions, like um, the constant uh, noise that's like all around you is like a big thing. So um, just, yeah, that those, those pieces are, are, are just really key. And just to know, like, am I actually getting a good hour right now? Or am I just sort of, mm-hmm. you know, sitting like sitting around, am I multitasking too much, you know, like just try, yeah. to, try to do one thing at a time, move to the next, you know, all, all, all that stuff. And you see a lot of folks that work are just, hard, but work smart. Yeah. Efficient. Work, work, work efficient. Yeah. Focus on automation. Delegate, you can get burnt out. Delegate what you suck at. Like yeah. there are other people around for a reason. Give them stuff. Give them, that's resp- right. That's, just give them the responsibility. Like even if it's more than you think they can do, mm-hmm. um, especially if you suck at it, uh, cause they'll probably do it better. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you think about it, every obstacle that you're going to go through while building a company, just it's a step closer to achieving that goal. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's yeah. like you're breaking down. You know, there's a wall. You got to break down that mm-hmm. wall. Mm-hmm. I, I always tell people this: it's either you break it down, you jump over it, you go around it. There's, that's what makes you an entrepreneur. It's yeah, finding totally. ways to pivot, finding mm-hmm. ways to adapt, mm-hmm. finding ways to evolve. Absolutely. Um, there's there's so many different 
there's so many different tactics and strategies for you to, as an entrepreneur, your, your, your solutions provided, you, you find solutions mm -hmm. for being successful, for mm -hmm. providing value, yep. for you growing and scaling your company mm -hmm. um, because you love it so much. You're, you believe in it that much. You're willing to do whatever it takes yeah. to, to overcome really that obstacle. Fake, you know you really, what I mean? You really can't you find fake ways that to do feeling. It. You really can't fake that feeling. I think that... Yeah. Um, uh, at the end of the day, you sort of know who you are, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, you can do you know, you can do ethical things or you can or, or unethical things. You know who you are, and it's kind of the same thing with um, uh, like, do you really believe in what you're doing or not? Yeah, and it's I totally, agree. completely okay if you're just trying to do a thing to like make money. Just be honest with yourself about that, and that's fine. It's not good or bad. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a lot of times folks will kind of fake the mission a little bit um, as like a leadership tactic, which is not bad. Um, you know, uh, if you've got kind of like a boring, if you think of your company as like a boring company or whatever, I mean, and you think about, well, like, what is the meaning of like what I'm doing? Why, yeah. What is my motivation kind of thing? Uh, if I'm just doing this, you know, whatever, I'm not going to like call out an industry because there's probably someone listening that loves that industry. Um, I, I, this was a, pro I thought my, account, I, one time I called my accountant, like, you're not, like, what's great about accounting? And they were like, oh no, these are all the things. And I was like, completely like shot in the foot, like, oh, you're completely right. So anyway, yeah. I was going to I love, I love managing people's finances. I have, there's a purpose for it. I love it. There is though. There, yeah. there, there, no, there is, like, there you is make definitely, a case, but I know, but I know. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's Every, just yeah. like different people. I know what like you mean. that's what makes the world work. Is yeah. like you find different people find different things creative and fulfilling. Um, but um, I think people kind of fake it sometimes. Where you mm -hmm. kind of and like if you're not and this is back to the suffering thing. Like if you don't actually care about your mission, but you're just saying because it sounds politically correct. Like and education is a good example. Like a lot of folks in it. Oh, we're trying to make a difference in education. Like I really care about education. Like yeah, because uh, it's yeah. it's personally meaningful for me for multiple <clears throat> reasons. But it's like. Uh, if you just say say you are, like at the end of the day, you know you're really not, and you're just not going to do the last you know few hours of work. You're not going to send the last email. You're not going to do the last thing because other priorities are more important. And that's logical, right? Like if you have other right. priorities that are more important, um, and this goes to like every 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 priority. You know, like uh, what sacrifices are you going to make when um, things that you prioritize are difficult? Whether it's like your relationship and your business, or your yeah. side project and your main business, or whatever. Like the, you know, you're going to have to make those judgment calls of like what's more important and. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you don't actually care about it, what the heck are you doing? You're just lying to yourself. Go do something you actually care about, because uh, it will consume a great deal of your time and your life. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, make that choice. You know, wisely. I know what you're saying. I agree. I, I think. Uh, I think just be honest about yeah. it. You know, yeah. and I think that goes a long way. Just being. Not, obviously, you want to be honest to other people. Be honest and loyal person, but. You want to be honest with yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Don't lie to yourself and say, oh, oh I really believe in do. this. Like, what's the point? Like, and, and that's cool. Even if, even if you don't believe in it, but you're, you know, everyone has, everyone needs to pay their bills. Everyone has to pay. Yeah. You know what I mean? I understand. I get it. Yeah. For me, it's different. I started my business. I have the whole reason for doing it. I, I love what I do. I want to help people. I want to provide value. There's a thousand reasons why. Yeah. But not everyone has the right, the same reasons. Everyone has a different reason mm -hmm. for doing it. Mm -hmm. But at least I'm honest with myself about exactly. it. Exactly. You know what I mean? I have yeah. a passion for it. I want to do something, but some people might fake it and they might say oh but i have a passion for it too yeah okay and like it's if you but, if you're only hurting and, yourself if you fake it right you're only yeah. hurting yourself what is the thing that warren buffett says he says like um would you rather be like the worst lover in the world but people think you're the best lover in the world or would you rather be um, the opposite <laughs> of that you know like yeah, you gotta yeah, make yeah. that decision yeah um, like uh, what does it matter if other people think you're the best at something if it's actually a horrible experience for you you know right. if it's actually killing you inside there's totally no point it's like the peak of absurdity so like just do crap you care about, and it's very okay if that's not a business. Just because, yeah. just because, um, you know. Shout out to Gary V. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that domain. Gary V owns uh, Betabox.com. Everybody. So if anybody knows him, you know, <laughs> I want that domain. But anyway, uh, the uh, but uh, but Gary you know, just because Gary V is in his element, crushing it every day, doesn't mean you have to be too. Your element might be something completely different. And yes. that's totally okay. The world is built on people that are doing different things, and yep. like that's the that's entire right. point of everything. So just like. <laughs> Be you. Be the most you you possible. Don't lie to yourself. Mm -hmm. And like, once you got that, you'll be fine. And 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 this is one of my other questions. So, I, I think honesty is, is huge. People don't talk about honesty so much. They have all these certain tips and strategies. To what they consider themselves. Mm -hmm. so what, what you know, basically, what considers just what you consider other other people a successful entrepreneur. So like for like, what tips would you give to these younger kids of how they can become successful? Honesty is a big part of it. People don't talk about that. So I love how mm -hmm. you mentioned honesty. Mm -hmm. But what other tips would you actually give to future business leaders? Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean Hard work. I, There's a bunch of different elements, but... Oh, sure. I yeah. mean, I've pretty much made every mistake there is. I mean, I've... Uh, uh, you know, honesty is... It's... it's 
the whole thing with entrepreneurship or selling something, it's you're selling something that's almost not quite there yet. So mm-hmm. where is the gray? It's like a lot of people like where is the gray line between okay, you're just you're selling something that you're eighty percent sure is going to happen, but there's yeah. these externalities, but you're still going to sell it full force to get the thing versus you know I'm just completely making crap up, you know. So at the end of the day, those are ethical calls that you have to like make make yourself. Sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you get unlucky, sometimes you get caught, whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're just here's what I think and here's all the reasons that I think it and you're just you're not sugarcoating the reasons or and you're doing your best to um, just like analyze what those reason, reason, reasons are then and you can put those reasons in front of somebody and they can make decisions for themselves mm-hmm. um, you know that's a, like whether it's like fundraising right or like, that's a huge one is you can say oh, like, we have this you know track record or whatever but actually like 40% of your run rate is on deals that you haven't quite closed yet and you know like people that's happening all day yeah. everyone's everyone's kind of doing that and it leads to this inflation of like this like egoism inflation or this like fakeness inflation where like companies are actually you know here at a certain level but they sound like they're over here and it almost feels like in this in the call it the zero sum fundraising environment there's x amount of dollars out there you know i need a percentage of those dollars you know that you've got to play that game um you know reject that tendency like don't play that game you know be a unique thing um and just be more honest because ultimately you want to work with people that Mm-hmm. Are going to mm-hmm. tell you the stuff. Tell you the stuff too. Um, so I mean, that's huge. Other other uh, you know non honesty related things. Um, of course, we talked about the work work ethic. I'm trying to come up with something that may not be obvious. Um, you know, be a long term thinker, and um, that that's 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 a huge thing. Um, network is huge. Network is your source of opportunity. So mm-hmm. um, I guess I guess it all it all kind of sums up with trust and courage. Trust yeah. and courage are the two the two things that I'd say are the most important values and um i've compromised on both and have paid the price severely as a result of that and I think each one have. of those lessons stings more but yes you know all values don't matter if you don't have courage because you mm. don't do, you won't do them when it's important you'll make the wrong decision um in the moment that it's most critical if you don't have courage and then trust is your only currency as a founder or whatever else you know it's you know your uber rating your sharing trust economy is, has sh- showed us this yeah. it's all just trust trust will lead to money trust will lead to opportunities mm. if people don't trust you like they're not going to do business with you in the in the long run um mm. so trust trust and courage all else um follows from there cool mm-hmm. love it amazing um so i always ask these last three questions okay i call them the three hows. okay so how do you define failure mm-hmm. how do you define entrepreneurship and how do you define success Crap. Okay, um, I have uh, slightly not canned answers. So, so failure is. I'm just going to steal a quote that I like the most. Is yeah. going from like. Um, um, oh, this is success actually. Success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. I like that okay. one a lot. Um, the uh, I've uh, heard of that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. that one's out there. Yeah, yeah. That's not a not, not a Maroni original um, <laughs> by any means. But what's uh, a Maroni original <laughs> for success? For failure, then entrepreneurship, then success. Okay, so failure is, um, within the context of entrepreneurship, I don't think is running out of money. I think it's running out of willpower. I mean, I see failure as tautological. I see failure as when you um, decide you failed, you failed. Because I've had negative money in the bank account a few times, and it's still going. And... uh, it's not just running out. Yes. Of, it's not just running out of money, right? It's no, it's, it's not. running out of willpower. It's 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 that last shred of of just choose of just choosing to give up. Many times, choosing to give up is super rational and the right thing to do. And sometimes, sometimes it's not. And you know, yeah, that's what it is. It's when you choose that it's over. You know, that's that's the failure. Um, failure and giving up are very different, aren't they? Oh sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, every every everyone yeah. that I've had on this podcast has said the same thing. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so yeah. so that's that. And then you talked about entrepreneurship. Now, I see it as doing more with less. Is the best definition of entrepreneurship. It's making a lot out of a little. That's what I've been doing my whole life with mm-hmm. the cicada wings, the bugs, no value there. Turning those into the seven dollar Christmas ornaments. Yeah. Um, then shipping containers. There's no value there. Turning those into something cool. Um, that's what every founder does more with less. That's what it's all about. Cool. Um, and so that's what I would describe entrepreneurship as. And then. Um, I mean, success for me, it's not ex- it's not extrinsic. I think it's all it's all intrinsic. It's um, uh, success for me personally is figuring out how to actually like be in the present moment every day and like be completely coherent with like all of my principles and like how I feel about myself. It's a lot of intrinsic mumbo jumbo that people don't care about as much, but uh, that's important to me. Is You'd be surprised at the, yeah. at the end of the day. You know, you can. Um, believe in what you're doing. You're coherent with everything, and you, you're you're what you're doing in that moment lines up with 
you know, what you believe as a person or whatever else, you know, that coherence is like a, is a very valuable thing. Um, so just like focusing on that, to me, that's like a successful life. And part of that is like being the most you, you possible, um, doing what you love, et cetera. So that to me is success. And then for me, the extrinsic wins along the way are just like gravy on the top. Nice things, nice right. milestones. Nice on the cake is the monetary side of it. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, yep. but, um, uh, anyway, I guess that's, that, that is success, success to, uh, cool. Me. Yep. Maroni answers. Maroni that's answers. That's what I wanted. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so where can people find you? Twitter, Facebook, website. I know. Yeah. The, I saw the new website. It looks awesome. Cool. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. New website. Let us know what you think. Betaboxlabs.com. Uh, and uh, Betaboxlabs.com. I feel like a rapper right now. I feel like a rapper kind of on uh, with Charlemagne the God right now. That's <laughs> kind of how I feel. Um, check it I out. I wish I was Charlemagne, man. Stuff no, is no, dope. Not yet. Charlemagne the God. Um, but uh, anyway, so you can check out the web, the website for Betabox. Um, if you're a school or somebody within education, feel free to contact us. We are doing all sorts of stuff. We love getting feedback from teachers on what we're doing, especially if you're in industry um, mm. and you're interested in the corporate social responsibility angle, workforce development, university recruiting, basically anything that touches lifelong learning or um, you know being passionate about educating the next generation, get in touch with us. Like I mentioned, the Powered by Betabox business where we're partnering with industry, um, mostly STEM companies, but also also others, pretty much everybody to you know accelerate what we're doing. Um, the personal side, you know, Twitter, Sean Maroney uh, is going to be the best place to find me. You can email me also, Sean at betaboxlabs.com. Cool. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. Cool. Thanks for coming. This is this, this is been great. great. Thank I hope you, you so do much. It more. Um, been definitely yeah. great having you. And uh, everyone, thank you so much. Michael Giorgio, co founder at Imagine Ovation. And this is Tales from the Pros. Until next time. Thanks. <laughs>